The Dragon Reread is brought to you by the Armadillo Podcasting Club. Did you know armadillos are marsupials just like possums? In fact, possums used to be armadillos, but they brought shame and dishonor to their family. And so their shell was removed in a, a ritual ceremony and they are left to wander the earth with no home. That's so sad. <laughs> it's really awful. They deserve it. They know what they did. <laughs> <laughs> For more armadillo-related facts and to find out how you can access episodes a day early, check us out at patreon.com slash club. Wheel of Time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become podcasts. Hello there. Welcome to The Dragon Reread. We're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. I am Jeff Lake. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Micah Sparkman. And today we're going to cover chapters 14 through 17 of Path of Daggers, book 8 of The Wheel of Time. Previously, Elias shows up to give Perrin some badly needed romantic advice. Uh, Perrin taverns the crap out of a delicate diplomatic situation. I guess now he's like a king or something? I don't know. Uh, by the way, on that note, Aliandrin, Queen of Gildan, didn't recognize Morgays, who was there in the room with her. And I looked on the map. Gildan and Andor are neighboring countries. Yeah. They, Just think about they that. Talk, Gareth Bryan talks about how he, he had to go fight the Gildanians several times because they're on the border. But the Queen of Gildan didn't recognize Morgays. Mm-hmm. Well, That's you know, fine. she's a recent queen, right? Remember, didn't all the, they had like a revolving chair of queens that the prophet killed? That's a good point. So she probably hasn't been queen for more than like, you know, a few a couple months. And Morgaza was less uh, around at that point. Yeah. All right, we'll give it a pass. Uh, anyway, we also caught up with a bunch of bad guys. Uh, Savannah is getting sidelined by the Shido wise ones as they realize exactly how useless she is. Uh, Grendel gets dunked on by Moradin's posse. So I guess he's the new big cheese forsaken in town. Then, Cad Swain and Sorley team up to form the baddest bitch duo and take on the Dragon Reborn. Good luck with that. <laughs> Speaking of, Rand is still an alien and is apparently cleaning up all the small pockets of resistance left by the definitely dead Samael, because that's definitely the best use of the Dragon Reborn, Karakarn, he who comes with it the, every morning or whatever. Uh, that's the best use of his time. <laughs> Chapter 14, Message from the Mahale, Icon of the Dragon's Fang. Because all these people are dark friends. So Rand heads back to his army camp. Uh, all his army people are there, all his nobles and whatnot. Yeah, he's just walking around thinking quietly to himself about how much all of his minions kind of suck butt. Yeah, well, he he rules through fear and division. He's like, luckily they all hate each other so much that they won't band up against me. Which is, you know, I mean, like, I guess it's an okay strategy, but doesn't that kind of get you into trouble in the long run? Yeah, historically, yeah, I... hasn't that been a bad idea? You know... What it reminded me of was the Shan Shan, where they like use their overwhelming magic powers to conquer place a place and then make those people become part of their army. And so now the Shan Shan are fighting all these battles with Terabiners in their armies. Rand is doing the same thing, right? He conquered Ilian and now the Ilianers, Ilianers, is that what you say? Yeah. Yeah. Now the, the Ilianers are his army. Only like, how loyal are they actually? What are they even doing? And it's that's an interesting point because he's... In addition to the Ilianers, he's also got the the Terrans and he's got the um, the Kyrianen. And there's like bad blood between all three of those groups. I think he makes the point of saying that they all kind of hate each other. So yeah. there's not much holding these people together except, well, I mean, he points it out, except for fear of him. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, that I wouldn't say this is effective leadership on Rand's part. Yeah. I mean, maybe this and, is how you lead a flock of sheep, Rand. And uh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> there's that shepherd instinct coming in... Uh, Strong. I want to point out that Rand's tent is still covered in embroidered golden bumblebees, so I guess he's, what, keeping that motif? I just, look, I just feel like the bees are not as cool as the dragon, all right? They're, they're very cool. Okay, if you had to choose a sports team to follow, which I know you don't follow any sports team seriously, would you pick, like, the murder birds, or, what, or would you pick the bees, the golden bees? I would pick the golden bees. I would buy a golden bee jersey. <laughs> I would 100%. I mean, the murder birds are going to win every time. No, that it has nothing to do with how good they are at actually playing the sport. It's just their mascot. Wait, 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 wait. What? <laughs> yeah, wait, you're telling me that the the that sports matches aren't determined by the strength of the mascot. 
Correct. Otherwise, the Colorado Avalanche would win every sport every year. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. (laughs) Touche. Anyway, so Rand gets a message from Tame, who's now calling himself the Mahale, because he Mm -hmm. was like, eh, calling me by name. That's just not sinister enough. Yeah. What does Mahale mean? I I know what he told us at the beginning. Do you remember? It means teacher. Teacher. Oh, okay. That's not as impressive, I guess. No offense, Alice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> listeners she made an obscene gesture on the video conference. <laughs> which i That's probably a good deserved. narration yeah probably wait 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 uh, wait wait wait. i've okay i've got a new idea it's not as modian who is michael jackson it's mazram tame mahale mahale jackson oh shit oh my god come on sheeple yeah and and Michael Jackson did teach us all how to walk backwards while looking like we're walking forward. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and he constantly goes, hee hee. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we don't know that Majum Tame isn't Asmodeus, right? And that whole song, it doesn't matter right. if you're black or white. He's actually referring to the black tower and the white tower. I, mm. Right, right. That song never oh, made shit. sense until this moment. <laughs> 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 we figured it all out. Yeah, we're so good at solving mysteries. We should form our own mystery team. And the thing is, this especially (laughs) makes sense because Robert Jordan, like when he does make references to pop culture, it's always like 80s pop culture. Like he talks about Ann Landers and like Sally Ride. So Michael Mm -hmm. Jackson, he was really big during that time when he was writing. So there you go. Right. Yeah. Now we know that he was really big during all times. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the message is that the Black Tower is growing very rapidly. Uh, they got a lot of people now. They got hundreds. Yeah, but like one out of every nine of them are not having a good time, though. Yeah, they they lost like like one in nine to death or madness. Yeah, yeah you uh, know, I mean, like reason that, that's that's a reasonable cost, right? Like that's what a little more than ten percent, twelve percent, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> but doesn't the madness mean you can go and like murder a lot of people? Right, you could blow up like a nuclear bomb. Yeah, yeah, but they they don't. But they just uh, you know they take care of them, right? If someone goes mad, they just slip something in their wine and they don't wake up. Yeah, and the fact that they all know that makes me wonder why any of them drink their wine. <laughs> because it's really good wine, and yeah. like ninety nine point nine percent of the time, there's no poison in it. Right, that's true, yeah, and they are crazy go. at that point. <laughs> uh, I do. I want to point something out. So um, they're having, as they're having this conversation, Rand makes like a, an allusion to the fact that he might visit the Black Tower, and the messenger is suddenly super worried about that. Yeah, mm. Tame is totally accumulating power at the Black Tower. Uh, yeah, he does not want Rand there, and that is concerning a little bit, considering Majum Tame is definitely a Forsaken. Yeah, mm, yeah, uh, yeah, hundred percent. Like, uh, yeah, if you were on the list of people in like order of how likely they are to be a Forsaken, it would go like, like Master and Tame would be ahead of like Grendel. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Rand is still ruling through fear. He threatens the guy, the messenger, and, and basically sends him with a message to threaten Mazram Tame. Mm-hmm. Right. But then one of, uh, one of Rand's scout Ashaman, Fedwin Moore, comes back. Uh, and he's been scouting up the Shanshan and has learned that Shanshan are mobilizing to move on Ilian. Yeah. Yeah. This is a this is kind of an interesting exchange too because at first uh messenger guy whose name I didn't bother to remember is like, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Why would they go to Ilian? Uh you know, there's no way they're coming to Ilian. And and Rand does some like general shit. He's like, Okay, well, I know they're holding lands here and you know, their their supply lands would come here. So Rand is kind of figuring out this military thing. Yeah, I I think he is. You you know, Luz Theron is good at that. So if he's having a mind meld there. That's good news. I mean, in general, it's, it's partly good. <laughs> I mean, it's good that he's learning some stuff. It's bad that he's maybe mind melded with a, a guy who murdered yeah. his entire family with yeah. uh, powers. But yeah, Luce Theron's back. You know, he went yeah, away for a while. At, at the very end, he went on a little sabbatical, you know, just to get his mind clear. You know, yeah. Where God has priorities. You know, it's funny because um, initially, I, I didn't think about this, but when you said that earlier about um the the mind meld is it possible that the reason he's not hearing Luz Theron's voice anymore is because he's kind of becoming like maybe there's something where they're they're ceasing to be separate identities or something 
Yeah. I mean, well, you know, my theory is that this isn't actually Luz Theron because he, his, he is Luz Theron, like in Soul or something. This is madness yeah. that has uh-huh. constructed this Luz Theron personality and then has access to Luz Theron's memories. So he, so there is no separate Luz Theron identity. It's just he's. This is his brain's way of like compartmentalizing all the extra memories right. that he shouldn't have. And it, it may be that his time in the box or just his experience has made it so that he's not resisting being Luz Theron anymore, so he doesn't need this other personality. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Luz Theron's voice is not around could be a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. I did like how his, the voice shows up and the, it basically says, okay, I'm calm now. I'm totally calm. We're all cool. I'm back. I'm here to help you out. Let's kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely going to have to kill that guy. He's like, oh, Luz Theron's back. Cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I said something about... First of all, these Ashaman that we meet, I think they are all crazy. Like, like yeah, every one of sure. them. Yeah, for sure. Was it Dashiva? Is Dashiva the one who's always talking to himself and like kind of laughing out of out of place sometimes? Yeah, Dashiva like what Rand is does? just suspicious as fuck, though, all around. I don't trust that guy as far as I can throw him. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not very far because he's a big dude. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, there's this scene where it just gets glossed over. But um, I think it was Hopwheel or somebody is, is saying is making some point that Dashiva doesn't like. And Dashiva actually reaches for him and tries to grab him. And Rand just sort of fends him off with his arm. And they, <laughs> nobody remarks on the fact that this happened. And they just move on with the conversation. Which implies that that happens a lot, right? Like, they're just like, oh, it's just Dashiva doing his, like, I'm going to kill you thing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think it's implied that, you know, some of their craziness comes from being part of the massacre, you know, shell shock at uh, Dumai's Wells. But none of these people are okay. I, I think Robert Jordan did a really good job of drawing these characters because unlike a lot of the grab bag characters we run into in these chapters, I, I felt like I could see all these dudes. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, I I, I I did say that I haven't been keeping track of the names because I haven't been, and it's, it's, there's too many, but their personalities are, are, are still distinct. It's not that they're, they're generic characters. It's just that there's too many names at this point. Yeah. yeah. And I, I kind of like Narishma. I think he's... A fun guy to have around. Yeah, I, I he's he's probably one of my I, to me he's one of my favorite because he feels like somebody who Rand uh, can can really use. Like he's a useful person for Rand to have around. Like yeah, seems seems like a a, a take care of business kind of dude. Um, I I want to I want to point something out that you know there was um, which one was who was the scout guy? I'm I'm trying to remember the names. Fedwin Moore. Okay, yeah. So he mentions that Sidon is behaving strangely at the sight of. Elaine's fuck up is that because of the thing that she did with the unraveling, or is it because of the sky terrain or whatever? I, that that was similar to how they talked about how the they were the women were talking about Sidar. Like it feels funny. It's like Sidar's everywhere, at, right after the weather weaving. So I think that it was just the weather weaving is like sent Sidar and Sidin everywhere, and it's affecting everything and. And it's kind of like you can't channel without crossing the stream somehow because it's everywhere right now. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Mm. I didn't know if this was something different because uh, no one had mentioned that when they tried to channel things didn't work the way they were intended to. But I think that makes sense with the crossing streams thing. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe Sidin just works a little differently. But I, I would guess that the unweaving thing didn't matter because that was a Sidar only thing. Gotcha. Makes sense. Mm. But Or he's crazy. <laughs> Or he's crazy, like the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. He's losing his mind, and he's like, oh, I don't know, I tried to channel something totally harmless, and then I burned an entire forest down. Weird. We had another instance of what's becoming one of my favorite tropes here, where Rand is just thinking something, and somebody responds to him because he's talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute, I shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chapter 15, Stronger Than Written Law, Icon of the Bull. Which is Gareth Bryan, right? Yeah, it's Gareth Bryan. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's great. I, I don't know why I thought the bull was Perrin, but you're totally right. Yeah, that's Gareth Bryan. Because right. the wolves think of Perrin as, what was it? Um, young bull? Young bull. Isn't that what they yeah. call him? Young bull yeah. with one big round tooth that he carries in his hand. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, wait, it's a horn of steel. One steel horn or something. Oh, that's right. It's steel, steel horns. Yeah. <laughs> Elias is the one with one big long tooth that he carries in his hand. That's right. <laughs> Whoa. So we start out with some Egwene dreams, which are always fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Prophecy dreams are always, are, are something I always enjoy looking at. 
Yeah. Uh, Matt appears in her dreams is faded and tenuous, and I assume that's because he's flat. <laughs> yeah, flat Matt. Flat Matt, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's almost as if his image is lacking depth or <laughs> or as if it is a flattened image. It's so strange the way he looks in this dream. <laughs> what could it mean? <laughs> it's like, we know what he is. <laughs> Yeah, you've got Rand who's wearing different masks until one of them is not a mask, but him. <laughs> sure. And then you've got yeah, right. Perrin and a Tinker and they're like approaching a cliff or something with their axes. But they're they're chopping up the brambles in their way, but the brambles are all screaming like people. Is is the Tinker supposed to be Aaron? Aram? Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, okay. Aram, yeah. The Tinker with the I, I feel like of the prophecy dreams that we've seen so far, these are pretty on the nose. Like they're barely like, <laughs> I mean, doesn't require a lot of interpretation. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Rand is uh, going through a lot of different, like, you know, facades uh, and yeah. And becoming a little bit uh, hard and Perrin and, and Ram are probably going to kill a bunch of innocent people trying to get to the prophet or something, you know, it right. Seems pretty but they're going to go off a cliff because there's danger that they can't see, which is... I mean, the Matt one was interesting yeah. to me. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're definitely interesting. Yeah. So she wakes up as Swan Sanche comes to get her for Gareth Bryan, who has an urgent message. Uh, Halima is still, like, living in Egwene's tent. <sighs> How has nobody figured that out, that she should not be there? Well, because she keeps making Egwene's uh, headaches go away with uh, her massages or whatever. Oh yeah, it's the massages that are totally doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is pretty concerning. Like like Egwene, I, we don't know exactly what Halima, who is uh, Aaron Carr, right? We don't know exactly what this person is doing to Egwene, but it's something to do with like tinkering with her mind, right? Oh yeah, yeah totally. I, at, at some point later on, Halima thinks about the dreams she's going to have tonight or something like that. And I think she's giving Egwene bad dreams and giving her headaches mm. and do, doing this to make, I guess, to make Egwene dependent on her. I mean, that would make sense. This is just a control, a power thing. Yeah. And she doesn't want to use compulsion. Maybe she just isn't good at it. It feels like this book has been relying on compulsion a lot. Like we have seen multiple characters using it when in previous books, really the only one who ever used it was like Magedian, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it doesn't, I think they, they said a while ago that it doesn't last very long and that's mm -hmm. the downside. So it's only useful if you're going to like devote yourself to it and spend a lot of time like hanging out with the person that you're compelling. Mm -hmm. I think they've also said that not everyone is good at it. Like just because you're a Forsaken doesn't mean that you're very good at it. I think that there's a few of the Forsaken who have said, oh, I don't do that because it just doesn't, you know, it, it, that's not where my expertise is or something like that, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think not everyone can do compulsion effectively either, but we know that there are several who do and, and have. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things where it would, like once they have traveling, why are they not traveling all the time? Right. I think Egwene knows how to travel, right? At this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why aren't they just teleporting to Tarvalon? It's the same type of deal where now we can't trust anybody's motivations ever because compulsion could be happening on everybody all the time. So kind of just sort of as a narrative convenience, they just don't use compulsion very much because it wrecks the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> he, he introduced an overpowered skill and now he's going to have to like dial it back a little bit. Right. Now he's got to nerf it. <laughs> He needs to pull a J.K. Rowling and smash all the time turners. How do you do that with a uh, <laughs> yeah. compulsion? And and Rand said, and over here, here's the box where I keep all the compulsion. Oh no, I dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped the compulsion box. Now nobody can use compulsion ever again. Damn. <laughs> so speaking of traveling, the snow because it's winter time now is slowing the Aes Sedai army's pro progress across land. Yeah, which they would have known was going to happen. Uh, if it was if winter was normally there, Gareth Bryan would have known this is a, a silly time to try and move your army around. Yeah, I, I guess this uh, this is a poor timing with the weather bowl situation in in this instance. It's uh, well, I mean, I guess nobody knew what was going to happen exactly, so it's just weather chaos. I, I guess yeah. they haven't said whether what they're encountering would have been normal weather for here and now, or if it's just like an. I know that it's winter, but it, does this place usually get blizzards? Do we know? Uh, I, th I get the impression no one's too shocked. 
Yeah. Right. Remember how cold it was on winter night at the very beginning of the uh, story. That's true. That was, that's true. that was this a little bit not... north of here. Yeah. Certainly not too far away. Anyway, uh, she goes to meet Gareth Bryan and he says, bad news. There's an Andorran army in the way. It turns it's... out that the Andorans aren't crazy about someone marching an army through their fucking country. Yeah. yeah. The Mirandians are down with it, but the Andorans are not. Yeah. Right. Uh, so Egwene orders a parley. And uh, this is all part of her and Swan Sanchez's plan somehow. Yeah, I, I, I got to I got to be honest. This is another frustration that we've been we've been encountering. I'm getting a little tired of the things where it's like, oh, there's a plot that they actually don't tell you anything about for like a long time. It's yeah, starting it's to feel a little bit like a like a crutch that Jordan's using. Like he doesn't want to outline these plans, so he's just like, oh, they cut yeah. away just as the plot is unfolding. I don't, I don't want to, like, guess at his motivations too much, but I feel like, I think George R. R. Martin has the same problem where you get to a point in these stories where the way they're going to end is pretty obvious, and the author still wants to keep surprising you and keep, keep you know, you hooked with new novelty and, and write interesting stuff. So in Martin's case, he just sort of stretched it out forever and stopped putting in, stopped actually putting incident in stories, but in Jordan's case... He just has everybody keep what they're doing secret, even in their own heads, to imply that there's a lot more going on here than there actually is. Yeah, I, I will say that uh, in this instance, well, I mean, we'll get there, but uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to take two books to unravel this plot, which is uh, not so bad. I, I just keep thinking of that one thing where Rand was planning to kill Samuel for like, a two was it two and a half books? There was, Something there was like that, a yeah. reference to it. Yeah, and then it just kind of yeah, but uh, it's gotten better for sure. Right. There's a f uh, there's a kind of a funny conversation between Swan and Egwene where they're talking about the three oaths. Uh, it's interesting because because Egwene is talking about freeing the Aes Sedai, uh, right? Like she's she's yeah. trying trying to free them from the oath rod, essentially, right? Yeah. Right. And Swan has something about the three oaths. Um, being so central to Aes Sedai that they're like, that they're necessary. Yeah, she makes a really good point. Uh, she doesn't use these words, but she's saying that it's the Aes Sedai's reputation that is their greatest strength, right? Mm -hmm. That they, that everybody knows that Aes Sedai literally cannot lie and they literally cannot use their magic power to turn you inside out. So that, that means people don't hate and fear them as much as they otherwise would. Yeah. I get that. That's a strong argument, I think. That's a good one. I think yeah, that's I mean, a good point, but I'm not sure I entirely agree that that's the sort uh, the source of the Aes Sedai's power. Well, mm -hmm. I think if there's an old guard, new guard thing, I, I mean, I kind of agree because to a certain extent, you can trust an Aes Sedai more than you can trust anybody else, despite the fact that they're famous for being untrustworthy. But also, Egwene is foreseeing a world that Swan Sanche doesn't seem to really be foreseeing, which is a world where the tower is going to have to go to war with an army of channelers, maybe several different armies of channelers. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they can't, they, they'll go, they're going to have to use the one power as a weapon. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a very good point. Like, like in Swan's mind, she's thinking about the history of the Aes Sedai and their, their role, which is more like puppet masters or the, the power behind the throne kind of situation. But Egwene is foreseeing a future where, they're literally going to be having to be soldiers. I said I are going to have to yeah. be like wizard soldiers. Yeah, and I, th mm -hmm. I think the, the old White Tower, their strategy is just wait it out, right? Oh, there's a war going yeah. on? Well, we'll just sort of wait for that to stop and then we'll you know go out and do our diplomacy again and get back the handles of power. But in this case, their power, their magic powers are not going to protect them from the Shanshan. And in fact, the Shanshan are specifically going to come and try and enslave them. Yeah, I, th I think Egwene makes this point that if the Aes Sedai under the Three Oaths go up against the Shan Chan, what's going to happen is they are all going to be enslaved by the Shan Chan, like yeah. to like universally, and it's going to be like that's going to be crushing, right? Because so that's a lot of channelers. Maybe it should be like the Two Oaths now. <laughs> the, the, what, what would the Two Oaths be? Um, I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Hey, look <laughs> that's at a good you. Oath. I like that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, Harry Potter reference. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, it would be it. like, speak no word that is not true and make no magic weapons. That's the, the other two oaths, right? 
Wait, what was the what was the the third oath then? Oh, it, I, it's it's not to use the one power as a weapon is one of them, and make no, uh, don't use the power to make weapons for other people. Oh, okay, the, I see, I one. see. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that one's still valuable? Don't use the one power to make weapons. I don't know, but uh, it definitely is a matter to be under, under discussion. But I still thought Swan made a pretty good case. No, no, you're you're right. Uh, I I'm, I still personally think that Egwene's right but i think you i think you make a i think you make a good point that that swan's position is based in 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 a in a, in a need that is not not invalid yeah uh, so Egwene and swan make plans to meet with the andorans chapter 16 unexpected absences i kind of the flame of tarvalon so Egwene announces a 3 day halt to all the isidai and the isidai hall this is kind of a dramatic way to announce a halt though right like she <laughs> she's like I'm calling the sitters to order, and then she like comes out and and uh, what is it? Uh, Sherry's like the I, the uh, the seat is about to speak, and then she's like, "We're taking a break, guys." That's it. <laughs> yeah, take three. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I guess this is just how the Armland seat does things. Uh... I, I guess so. I, I mean, maybe it's part of her like establishing herself as as the Armland seat as opposed to just like the puppet, right? Yeah, and then. Egwene sits down to just do her job for a little while, uh, dealing with all the crazy shortages they have uh, among their army and various other problems. And, uh, you know, I had forgotten that Egwene had a bunch of Aes Sedai swear fealty to her. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like, it's not, a, it's it's like what? Like a handful, right? Like there's, there were, first there were those two who came in and were like, we want to work for you. And we, you know, we, we, we think you're the, the, the cat's pajamas and, and such. And then yeah. there were some that she forced to do it through blackmail, right? Right. Yeah, because the, they had she was, was going to expose their scheme that they'd done when they were not sitters. Right. Uh, but yeah, I'd forgotten oh. that, and that's so she actually does have a faction. Yeah, they're just secret and spread throughout. I don't even I don't even remember who all they are though. Like I know that there's a couple of them, like Sheriam. Yeah. But I don't know who all of them are. Uh, and Carlinia, and I think Bayornin or something. I, I yeah, I forget them. <laughs> Theodrin or whatever, right? Theodrin. Theod- yeah, Theodrin and Faulane, those are the, the young ones. Yeah. And uh, then we get a brief cut in with Halima, who buries a corpse. Yeah, sure. I know, right? Like so you do. this is another like villain viewpoint uh, that, that we're seeing a little bit of. But yeah, so she's yeah. Uh, killing people. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I had a, a realization that maybe isn't such a realization to you guys, but the way Halima acts is the way a sexist man thinks that women act. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Like all, all the women sense, right? that, that deal with Halima are like, why does she act like that? That is weird. But yeah, she's like shows her boobs all, all the time and laughs and is, and acts super confident. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and this makes sense, right? Because I, I believe that this was like the whole thing. Like uh, when the, the, the dark one or whatever reincarnated uh, this person. They were like, no, they like, they were like a, they're a misogynist or whatever. Right. Like they, yeah, they were right. Yeah. Or at least a, really a chauvinist, right. A, a chauvinist. Yeah. And I, I thought that was interesting. Cause that's, that's a level of depth that I didn't expect from Robert Jordan when I realized that. Yeah. You're, that's, that's true. He's, he's written a, a somewhat complex, arrangement of features into this character yeah because because usually he his books kind of have that ring of women be like this and men be like this i will say i think he's gotten a lot better about that uh it still happens and especially when certain characters are talking like naive for example but i mean like (laughs) but it is it is I, I, i i do feel like he's gotten better at presenting these characters in different ways yeah uh I, I, I do. I did. Uh, there's another thing that we've been seeing a lot of lately, and that's walking through the camp. You're in charge of and thinking chapters. Like yes. Walking through the camp and what? And just thinking. Oh, <laughs> like sure. there's Yeah, Perrin had one where he's just like walking through his camp thinking. Rand had one where he's just walking through his camp thinking, and now Egwene's got one where she's walking through her camp thinking. Yeah, Fayil had one too. Oh, that's right. Fayil had one where he's walking through the camp thinking about the people she was in charge of. And Savannah kind of had one. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's like that's what this book is. That's the path of daggers. Is when you walk through your camp and think about stuff. Yeah, walk <laughs> through your right. camps and think about stuff. Flash over to a villain. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the whole book. So far, but, yeah. Um, yeah, so back to Egwene. Uh, she's doing her job, and then Romanda and Lelaine uh, come in, and they argue about the Sea Folk and what Rand's doing with the Sea Folk, and talk about how they got to get in the middle of that and screw up whatever it is. And I hate the Aes Sedai. <laughs> no, honestly, yeah. Like this, this was kind of frustrating to read because, um, the, first of all, they don't acknowledge the fact that this is actually a pretty, pretty amazing feat that they've accomplished. And second mm-hmm. of all, they like they. There's this thing that I've noticed, and it's it's definitely intentional. But all of the these Aes Sedai or many of these Aes Sedai factions, they they seem to constantly underestimate what they call wilders, right? Like non Aes Sedai channelers. Yeah, like yeah, they take definitely. major umbrance with the fact that the the channelers from the uh, the Sea Folk were involved in this weather bowl thing, which right? is just like I mean, I guess they're they're probably ignorant of what the Sea Folk are actually capable of, but. Still, that's so idiotic because yeah. they, 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 they know that none of them know how to weave the weather, right? Nope. This is dumb. Yeah. But yeah, Lelaine and Ramonda are like super full of their own shit. Like just whenever they're <laughs> interacting, they're just like, oh, look at me. You know, it's just like it's 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 a little irritating to read sometimes because they, they suck. Yeah, I'm very yeah. over it. Yeah. And I, I wonder why they're the bosses of the Aes Sedai. Like are these literally the... The best the ice that I have to offer, the they're the sharpest. Well, as we learned, that is not how hierarchy is determined in the ice that I. They're just the ones with the biggest magic dicks, right? Oh, that's a good point. I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, and Egwene has the biggest magic dick of all. <laughs> that's right. So we find out also in this scene that Egwene's maids are missing: Mary the maid and Salami the maid. I'm sure it's. I probably yeah. did not say like Salami. I was saying, I was thinking Salome. I don't know, but yeah. Uh, I, either way, it, it is a strange coincidence, isn't it? They probably just, uh, I guess they probably just ran off together or something. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah you know how these lazy servants are. Uh, Egwene should have made them marry each other. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> That'll yes. keep them under control. So Halima, Erengar totally buried one of these people, but what happened to the other one? That's a good question. Some sort of compulsion. Now they're a slave somewhere kind of thing, I'm guessing. Yeah, it must be. Like... Or maybe they just buried that that particular body somewhere else and we came in after they'd already buried the first body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It could be that. Uh, and then Egwene does her job for the rest of the day. But uh, Swan Sanche is onto something. She, she's realized that most of the sitters that have been chosen are too young for the job. And she doesn't know why mm-hmm. that is. Which I wonder too. Yeah, hmm. it's interesting. Uh, it's it is very interesting. I don't know uh, theories. I have no idea because I, yeah. as far as we know, there was nobody who was controlling the sit- choosing of the sitters. That was just sort of a democratic process that they did themselves. I have no theories, but it is really interesting to me how in these since they met the kin, how age has become a constant theme that they're returning to the age of people of women who are able to channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And, and it's something that I think we, we speculated about in the past that, that we've, we've often like wondered how channeling affects your, your lifespan. And, and we get, we're getting more information about it. I mm-hmm. actually do have a theory about this. I have no idea what this is like. Correct. Cause it's just, just speculation. But uh, I wonder if, the sitters as they are, are that maybe they're picking people that they want to be expendable because when the towers oh. re re merge, then they don't want anyone who's going to stand up to the current sitters that they're going to put in back in place. Oh, I mean, sure. I, so similar reason to why they, some of them picked Egwene because none of them wanted to have their heads on the pike. Right. Exactly. I, I, I think the, the sitters could be a similar situation. Or it could just be that, you know, their um, pockets are empty on, on famous people. I don't know. Hopefully we'll find out this book. Yeah. And then Ramonda and Lelaine return. Uh, they have found out about the secret meeting, secret-ish meeting, with uh, the Andorans. And they both individually demand to speak for Egwene. They think that her setting up this meeting will be her downfall. Oh, yeah. This this is very, very interesting. Like, this this feels like a pretty big tipping point, right? Like... 
this yeah. is a place where Egwene is has got to do something. And oh, had me popping some popcorn over here. I was like, oh, oh what's <laughs> yeah. going on here? But yeah, Swan and Egwene are thrilled. They still think this is all going according to plan. Yeah, when that when she said that, I was like, wait, what? That was your plan? Your plan was for them to find out about this thing that you were trying to... What is going on here? Yeah, yeah, right? Uh, we'll find out a little bit more soon. Uh, but then we cut to Sheriam, who is tortured for information by somebody who we don't know who it is. No! Right. Not well, Sheriam. okay, hold on, though. <laughs> hold on, though. I mean, like, she's not surprised to see this person. This is like somebody she knows, which means to me that Sheriam is some sort of double agent and possibly Black Aja. I, I guess we don't know, but it, this could be Erengar, right? Who's attacking her in the night? It could be, but Erengar has more information than Sheriam does, right? Yeah, I guess so. So it's probably somebody yeah. else, and it's definitely a magic user because they use magic to torture her. Yeah. And someone's strong because they were able to shield her and capture her pretty readily, right? Yeah. Interesting. So I wonder it, who it could be. Yeah, it's probably not uh, Lelaine or Ramonda, right? Probably not, but maybe. I mean, does this... We've talked about this before. Does this count as using the power as a weapon? It feels like it, right? So does that mean it's got to be a Forsaken or somebody who is Black Aja? Yeah. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. So, Chapter 17, Out on the Ice. Icon of the Tarvalon Flame. Uh, Egwene has a grand procession full of Gareth Bryan's soldiers and Gareth Bryan and a bunch of Aes Sedai. Um, they head through the cold to go meet with the Andoran nobles. Yeah, this is this is interesting. Like this, first of all, this is like a, a kind of an insane entourage to be bringing to like a me- a, a peace meeting, right? It's like yeah, a right? thousand heavy cavalry or something like that. Hmm. Uh, this whole thing seems calculated to impress and or piss off the Andorans. I, I, I will say that I was surprised that the Aes Sedai... So they, they talk about the fact that all of the Aes Sedai are like decked out, dressed up, but like almost to what I would consider like a gaudy degree. And I was kind of surprised because it feels a little undignified somehow. The fact that they're like wearing all this gold and jewels. That's very not... To me, that's very not Aes Sedai, right? I don't know. Yeah, they they're they're always dressed nicely, right? Yeah, they do. But I feel like, to, and and you know, this is just my impression that Aes Sedai, the way you dress up as an Aes Sedai is more like about dignity than about like a bunch of like wealth, you know, flashiness. I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it does. It then you bring it up, it does feel a little bit out of place. Yeah, I I mean I I don't I don't know if it's on purpose. I don't know if it's supposed to indicate anything, but it felt to me like this this almost this almost felt like a sign of weakness that they were having to show their power in like jewelry instead of through like inherent power. They definitely don't want to look like the, the raggedy nomads that they are right now, but maybe they overcompensated. Mm. And uh, during the way there, we check in on two important characters that uh, we hadn't seen in a while. And I was happy to see one is Uno. Uh, (laughs) That's right. He doesn't get any lines because he has all the best swears. Uh, and also Bella. Thank God, Bella. I know. Bella! I was like, I was like, exclamation point! Bella yeah. sighting. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's That's okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, Swan is writing Bella. I, and, and I know, like, I was super excited about this because we've been speculating for a while that Bella was rolling around with with a Green's a Green's team. So I would say this is mission success for Bella. Watch another mark in the win column. We are right on track with Bella. Mm-hmm. The, the, the famous Taveran horse Bella. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> just like wherever wherever Bella is, things yeah. are happening. You know, I, mean, I was I was just a little bit worried because you know this army is low on supplies, and Bella is not the most useful army horse. You know, she's older; she's getting on in years. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I, mean, I don't right? know what the lifespan of a horse is, but you know, it's <laughs> this is hard riding, right? Yeah, but no, 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 she's fine. She's a okay. Bella's doing great. In Everybody fact. calling she, this in her fact, She's doing better than Egwene's horse. Didn't they say there was like some spook thing and Egwene's horse like shied a little bit. Bella was like, fuck that, I'm fine. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Bella's like, whatever, I was in Shadow Logoth. I don't care. Like, I, I have a girl that's chasing me around every month. Like, this is nothing. <laughs> like, call me when there's like a mirror draw or something. I'm fine. 
my god, I would watch a show just about Bella. I'm telling you, we need a spinoff series just about Bella's adventures, her yeah. horsey adventures. Yeah, somebody get in touch with Rafe Judkins. We're doing it. The that's spinoff. Right. Yeah, they have not announced the casting for Bella yet. And that's yeah, it's going to be for. called Better Call Bella. <laughs> Bella could be voiced like, uh, who is it who does the donkey and Shrek? Is it Eddie Murphy? Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Yeah, Eddie Murphy could voice Bella. He's got experience. Micah, be doing... serious. Bella's a female. That's ridiculous. Eddie Murphy <laughs> can do lady voices. He's done it. Didn't he do? Uh, didn't you see uh, the Nutty Professor? No. He's got. He's got. He's got you there. <laughs> okay. Check. <laughs> Let's just say the Nutty Professor. He reveals his he, range of acting when he does he, the he, entire Clump family at a yeah. dinner table. Wait, wait. You mean that those were all played by Eddie Murphy? <laughs> I think nearly all of them were played That's by Eddie impossible. Murphy. Yes. I know. How can one man play so many characters? <laughs> he is he's a magician and a national treasure. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah, so when they get there, first of all, uh, Talmanis is there just to rep the band of the Red Hand. Oh, because, oh yeah, they're there. <laughs> I, I forgot about them. They've been following Egwene's army this entire time. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, and Matt's awesome band of like wandering warrior badasses is there that Matt just left behind to go on his stupid mission to Ibudar. He is, he is so, oh God, it's so frustrating. He's a general. What is he doing? I mean, yeah. sorry, we know what he's doing. He's flat now, but what was he doing before he became <laughs> right. flat? Right. <laughs> his skills are so much more useful leading an army. Right. Yeah. When he's like, when he's three dimensional and on a horse leading an army, that's when Matt is at his best. <laughs> yeah. Right now where he is away from his army and also flat, not peak Matt time. <laughs> uh, yeah, that I just love the band of the Red Hand, so it's cool. Tom Bennett doesn't do anything here, but it's cool that he's there. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad they mentioned him because I had totally forgotten that the band of the Red Hand is following Egwene. And they don't, I, I guess we sort of know what they're up to, right? They're, they, we know that they're there because Matt told them to keep an eye on Egwene or help watch out for her or whatever. Yeah, Matt's orders were to bring Elaine back to Camelot to take the throne. And so right. Elaine and Egwene are messing with Matt by just making him wait and then sending Matt off on a mission. And yeah, Matt's orders to them were that. Uh, follow them around. Don't let them out of your sight. And Egwene, I think, knows this, right? She knows that they're that they're harmless, but she's using them as kind of like a the, the stick versus the carrot kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I had forgotten all that, so I'm trying to keep keep that straight in my mind they're they're they as far as Egwene has let everyone know they're scary dragons foreign that could attack at any moment right yeah when yeah. in fact they're on their side but right so they meet with the nobles on the middle of a frozen lake which is, cool. this is pretty baller right yeah super cool well here's the question where would they have met otherwise because it only recently became frozen like right within the last like 24 hours or something Oh, yeah, that's a good point. How long has it been like this This cold? Probably not that long, right? You get the yeah, impression so they probably it hasn't some... been very long since they did it. So they probably had some whole other plan. And then like their head servant came in and was like, guys, the, the lake froze over and I have the most baller idea. <laughs> and they were like, hell yeah. <laughs> They're like, meet on the lake? That's, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it frozen all the way through? I don't know. We'll send some guys to go check it out. Everybody's going to uh, have to take you... little tiny steps and they'll slip a lot. It'll be awesome. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> Have you ever seen a horse scramble on a frozen lake? It's hilarious. <laughs> no, it's so I, that means we don't have to hire entertainment. No, it's like a metaphor or something, right? Like you know the precariousness uh, of their positions or something. Egwene is on thin ice. Yes. Oh no, that's a good point. But it, except this ice is not thin; it is thick. Right, but it's still okay. Egwene's on thick ice. <laughs> That's right. They think she's on thin ice, but the symbol is that the th the ice is thick because Egwene is has it more under control than people realize. Yeah, That's right. The, That's the metaphor. That's and, a and good I think metaphoring. it has been established that Egwene herself is not thick. With That's two right. C's? No, no. That's right. Yeah, thick with two C's. <laughs> I mean, she yeah, could no, be. Do no, they no, ever describe not. like her body? Uh, they always talk about how everybody thinks she's a girl, so I, I assume that means she's you know wayfish. You don't know. She could weigh like 400 pounds. No, I mean, she's out on that ice. <laughs> Is Bella out on the ice? That's the important part. If Bella's out on the ice, then that's some thick ice. Oh, yeah. I guess Swan rode her onto the ice. Oh, shit. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So that's probably some thick fine. ice. <laughs> that's right. 
with two C's and thick ice. So yeah, the, so they kind of set up like a kind of a crazy situation here, right? Like like um, the I guess the lords were trying to do some sort of like power game where they're like, oh, there's only like eight chairs or something, but then the Aes Sedai roll up with like their whole like <laughs> this like stage and like these like yeah, boxes and, like, and enough like... benches for Egwene and all the sitters and the benches by the way are taller than the chairs so they're looking down at them. <laughs> This is such a power move. It's so good. Like that, I, I thought, was like, wow. I, I you think it's good because I was thinking like, if they wanted to piss these guys off, there's no way they could have done it better. Like the idea between the chairs is everybody's on the same level, right? She Egwene actually thinks about how all these chairs were picked so that you know nobody's chair is better than anybody else. You know, so there's no precedence thing, right? This is a meeting where everybody's going to respect each other, and then they roll in and just right. shit all over these people. But that's like, isn't that like essentially the Aes Sedai playbook, right? Like they're, the Aes Sedai are not equal to nobles. They're not equal to lords. They're above kings and queens. And none of these people are kings and queens, right? Yeah, so, but, but that's like saying that to them. If, at least if I was in those nobles position, I'd be like, fuck you. No, it, it's war now, you know? Like clearly you don't have our best interests at heart. Clearly you don't respect us, you know, go die. It made me think of the art of negotiation or whatever that book was that came out in like the 80s where you're supposed to have the chair that's like raised higher than the other person. <laughs> it's definitely that. Yeah, they it's parody it in 30 Rock. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I I, 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 I I get where you're coming from, Jeff, but I think that as far as these nobles are concerned, Aes Sedai, they know that Aes Sedai are above them. Like, like every, as far as every noble in Randland is concerned... Like, Aes Sedai aren't equal to a noble, right? Well, maybe, but I mean, just based on how this meeting goes, like, the nobles are clearly pissed off. Like, they, they're not awed. They're not, like, humbled. They're thinking, like, these people are pissing. Like, screw these people. Like, why, what are they, why would we help these people at all? Like, they're not doing anything for us. They're treating us like crap. But they still do what Egwene says. Well, it's because Egwene says she's not going to enter Andor. Yeah, well, that's true. And But they also, they don't leave. Remember, that's, well, we'll get to that. Um, I, and I, 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 you know, I, maybe I'm just got a sore spot when it comes to the ice that I treating people like crap. Cause I was like, like, this is su this such bad diplomacy. Don't they have any gray sisters? Like is step one in their negotiations, piss the other side off and make them like not want to deal with you. I, th I think that from an ice that I perspective, this is so, so Egwene even mentions that she wasn't sure that was a good idea. I think that wasn't her idea. That was just like a yeah. thing that happened. But she does mention that essentially they started the meeting with an insult, not not like not like an overt insult, but there's this like feast day and there's like a, a, a right that they should be offering as part of like the great meeting of people. And they yeah. intentionally don't do it. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they planned all this stuff before that, though. Yeah. But but you're right. I mean, the nobles are not like the soul of charity, um, but they in the meeting, I thought the nobles were really reasonable. You know, they, they basically say, my name is Lord Paul. This shit is between Lord Y'all, right? Yes. Like, we don't want to, we don't want to get involved in an Aes Sedai fight. And, you know, if we let you march across our lands, that might be seen as giving, getting involved. Yeah, so, no, like, I, I think so their concerns to are totally valid. This. And, and Egwene, yeah, like, I think they're valid, right? Anyway, but, uh, uh, then Egwene goes completely off script. Uh, all the there's this drama where the sitters are expecting her to like appoint one of them to speak for her and, and show her submission to them. And instead she offers a deal, which is they're not going to enter Andor. They're just going to sit in Murindy for a month on the border and then they'll be gone and not going to tr trouble them any farther. Sure. And they're going to, and they're going to pay, pay for the resources or whatever. So they're, they're going to like compensate the Mirandians for the, for whatever, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is nice. I, I mean, I, th I think everyone comes out ahead in that, in that way, right? Like they get what they want. Their concerns are addressed except for the Mirandians who I guess are kind of screwed based on all of the stuff that the Andorans just said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a little mysterious because, you know, they're going to be there for a month and then not enter Andor. Like where are they going to go? I, I'm wondering if they're going to travel. I, like you, you, you know, you were talking about that. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe they're going to hang here for a month, and the Gwen's going to teleport him into the White Tower. We don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not 100 percent sure on what Egwene's plan actually is. Her clever ploy to maintain her power, uh, but this this is going her way. She definitely thinks it is. 
Yeah, I, I think that this meeting was as much about establishing herself as the Omerlin as anything else, like establishing her authority in front of a whole bunch of people who can tell other people, oh, yeah, Egwene's running shit here, you know? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But whether that worked, it's hard to say. I mean, like the 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 lead noblewoman of the the Andorans and the Mirandi, the, the lead speaker spends the whole time talking over Egwene's head, literally like talking to the people behind her, right? Yeah. Uh, I gotta say these these chapters have made me agree with Alice that uh, that these are good chapters. I really like seeing Egwene uh, just dealing with this situation where nobody respects her and she's determined to be a strong in Merlin. Hell yeah! Yeah, I agree. I think I think that uh, Egwene. It's it's interesting because for a long time I didn't care for Egwene's character. Uh, she was frustrating because she did a lot of like childish like or kind of like petty like boy girl fighting stuff right like that was that was, but but as i i think both of you pointed out she was like 15 or something right but yeah. I, I think her time with the wise ones was a was something that like hardened and like sharpened her her character and i right. ever since that that experience with the wise ones and returning and becoming armalin she's one of my favorites i think i'd have to say at this point mm-hmm. yeah she's I think a big part of it is that she's doing her bullshit to people I don't like now. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. But yeah, like if I were, if I were to list my favorite characters, uh, and again, this is a big change from the beginning. Matt is probably pretty high up in the list. Uh, Perrin's up there. Egwene is up there. I'm trying to think who are, who else, who else do I really like? Whatever one of our chapters come up, comes up. I'm excited. Um, Maybe that's it. Yeah. Like there's a lot of side characters like Tom Marilyn or, uh, you know, Gareth Brine that really yeah. shine in small parts. Mm-hmm. Oh, I live, I love Min chapters because they're like her, her visions are so much fun. Like Min chapters are probably, even though her character is, you know, fine, not, not bad, not particularly exciting. Chapters from her perspective are always fun to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you know what? We've seen the rolling dice a lot and no Matt. I got to say every time the, they have the dice at the beginning of the chapter, I'm like, <gasps> and then it's like, Oh, okay. it's fine. I guess. <laughs> Uh, listeners, Micah just made a comically excited face on the video conference. <laughs> Thank you, Deb. Yeah. <laughs> with hands and everything. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we're about done with this episode, and now we're introducing our new feature. We're really excited. A mailbag. We got some letters from you guys. Uh, I guess e-letters. I don't forget what they're called. <laughs> I think they're electronic mails. That's yeah, that sounds electronic right. Electronic mails. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we have one letter from Michael who talks about how one of the things that really bothers him in the series, and we've touched on this before, is how heteronormative it is. Um, And Michael talks about what we complain about, how there's a lot of men be like this and women be like that. But what Michael pointed out is that uh, Rafe Judkins, who's the showrunner for the upcoming show, he's actually gay himself. So Mm. they're wondering if he's going to introduce any sort of LGBT representation into the series and which comes to the question of, um, do we have any ideas for how this could be done? Well, and Michael says he thinks Matt would be a pretty good buyer pansexual character because he's, you know, kind of a horn dog. So why limit it to women? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that, and you know, he really likes hanging out with soldiers. (laughs) He likes hanging out in the inns gambling. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean like that that's a really interesting point. Like Matt is uh is charming in a kind of unusual way, right? Like he's not he's not what anyone would consider like the normal kind of charming, but I think he's a kind of charming that could appeal to a lot a wide variety of people. Mm-hmm. Like and I I mean I just mentioned he's one of my favorite characters, right? So like I'd want to hang out with Matt. I'd wanna, you know, maybe maybe we get to drinking and gambling and something happens. Who knows? And, you know, maybe there is something <laughs> repressed there because, like, you remember, I mean, he's, because we've agreed Emmons Field is a very, like, puritanical kind of place, right? Um, right, as yeah. well so as cannibalistic. You, and as well as cannibalistic. Also cannibalistic, yeah. Yeah, so that could be a thing. And also, like, remember when he was being repeatedly raped and um, his ex, the explanation mm. Robert Jordan gave for why he was upset is because men are supposed to act one way and wi- or women are supposed to act another way. So that could be some sort of like repression there. Mm, yeah. Just right. further, yeah. further evidence. Yeah. That he c- can't even imagine um, being and in a non. That's, that's, yeah. That's definitely, that's definitely the, uh, 
the stereotypical coming out story, right? Is you, you're from a small town where you can't be yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you are lucky enough to move to a bigger city where there's a lot more different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And you find out who you really are, who you really want to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, I could see I, that. And I, I definitely, like, a lot of the Aes Sedai have always read as pretty gay to me. And I don't think that they were intended that way, for the most part. But just the way that they sort of, it's a sisterhood and they disdain men. And, you know, like, I think that there's just a lot of gay stuff there. Gay, it seems like gay subtext to me. Yeah, and I wouldn't, yeah, I, the I, thing I, is, I wouldn't even limit that to the Reds. Because it's not a just like, a oh, Reds hate men, so right. they must be lesbians. You say that across the different Ajas, don't you? Because there are these extremely powerful women that don't seem to have much of a use for men at all. Yeah, they, they don't seem to have many personal relationships in general. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're yeah. married to their job pretty much, right? And so you'd right. think that they would, yeah. you know, they'd find comfort uh, with each other. Well, I mean, it's a religious thing, right? If any of them right? were they're, that way. They're kind of basically priests in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, bisexuality were common in uh, the Aiel as well. Because it seems like their cultures are are a lot more flexible with, like, relationships as far as, like, what's expected and what's not. So it seems like it would be okay, more okay to to be, like, flexible in your sexuality. Yeah, they, the they do have plural marriages pretty, very commonly. Yeah. Yeah. And they talk talk a lot about, like, you know, near sisters and, like, this is somebody that you have, like, a, a closeness to. I, I don't know. I, I, could, I could see... Um, I could see it being more common among the Aiel as well. Yeah. Uh, I've always, I've wondered this from the beginning though, that like when they make this, the idea of, uh, well, like transgender people don't exist in this world. And they, I mean, they do now, but the only transgender person we know was literally created by the dark one, right? As, yeah. as an evil ploy, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which is Halima slash Erengar slash Valthamel. I forget. I, I don't. I don't know. So I, like, I, I don't think we know exactly for sure which one he is. In but, the context you know. of these books, there is like a metaphysical difference between men and women, and even mm-hmm. if a man is somehow put into a woman's body, he's still uh, metaphysically a man because he can still channel male magic. And there's just just that duality that there's no crossing anywhere. And I I wonder how they're going to do that in the show because you compare that to how progressives think about gender today, and it, it does not fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 an interesting question, and and the 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 nice thing is, I think that there you can do. I think that it, there's plenty of room to play with that in in the in a modernizing of the series without harming the characters at all. Like be, because it's not necessarily a central thing in Robert Jordan's books. If they choose to play with that a little bit in the in the TV series, I yeah. think that uh, that it's not it wouldn't have any negative impact on any of the characters. And mm-hmm. I would say changing that around, it would, in one way, it wouldn't be very faithful to the books because, you know, literally would change the text. But in another way, it would be pretty faithful because I do believe that Robert Jordan was trying to be as progressive as he could at the time, yeah. you know, at, and at, and being a person writing epic fantasy novels for, you know, 12 year old readers like myself in, in 1992. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that if you if you like extrapolate it, he would probably have written it that way today. No, yeah, I, and and I and I think that Robert Jordan would have no problem with with that. Like I, uh, my my perception of Robert Jordan is that he uh, he does his best to like be a, a, a good feminist, whatever you want to say, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Like, who would who would be the best character to gayify in the show? And like, yeah, Matt's really good. Yeah. I mean, Perrin, right? Like he and uh, he has like a Ram, right? He has he has like a right, and he did meet up with Elias, who, who taught him the ways of the Wolf Brothers. Yeah, he's got that great beard. He's like Perrin is like hardcore bear, right? Like, <laughs> okay, that's they're all gay. All three of them are gay. <laughs> that's that's our yeah. conclusion. Mm. Yeah, Tom Marilyn. Tom Marilyn has been around. Yeah, I that seems like yeah. a bisexual character to me. Yeah, because, that dude is definitely hooked up with men because he has seen the world, mm-hmm. and and he knows what there is to try. And yeah, and he's the gray fox. Yeah, like like he he's been he's been at those parties with a bunch of other like glee men where everyone's getting a little drunk and like 
yeah, there's a lot of women there, but yeah, there's a lot of men there. And you know, you're, you're, uh, you're a little drunk and you don't really know who's right. And everybody's wearing a multicolored cloak with lots of patches on it. <laughs> that's right. Look, places, things go places and that's fine. You know, like you're all having a good time. <laughs> you've never done it until you've done it with a pile of jugglers. Yeah. <laughs> As the old saying goes. Yeah. Okay. So that's it for this episode. Next time we're going to cover chapters 18 through 21 of Path of Daggers. I am Jeff Lake. That's at Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. I'm Alice Sullivan. That's at Alice M. Sullivan on Twitter and Blue Bonnet Cafe on Instagram. And I'm Micah Sparkman, and I don't have one of those. <laughs> if you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please drop us a line at hello at the We love hearing from you. And we might answer it on air. Yeah. Please share us with anybody you think will like us. Please give us good reviews wherever you got this. Please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash armadillo podcasting club. Please like us in real life. We're just so likable. Until next time. The, the light, light illumine you. you.